Well, this morning we will be diving into a new series, and I'm so excited to dive into this series today. The name of this series is Getting There, which leaves us with the obvious question, getting where? Like, where is there? Where are we trying to get? Uh, This series is a series all about family and about what it means to do life together as a family and as a family unit with God at the center of all of it. And so if life is a journey and your family is on a road trip together, the destination we are seeking is a family that endures and a love that lasts a lifetime. And so while we all know that should be the goal for every family, so many families are torn apart by strife and and division. And if your goal is a family that endures for the long haul, this series is about getting there to that goal, okay? And so this whole year is about health, and wholeness, and that's exactly what we want for your family, which is why we're going on this journey. Now, today's topic is a critical place to start this conversation because this speaks to the root of most family problems. And while this is in no way just a parenting issue, I am going to purposely speak to parents today. How many of you in the room are parents? Raise your hands. Okay, parents, that's great. Uh, How many of you in the room know? another human being, any other human beings, you know human beings, okay? Uh, What we're going to talk about today is a parenting thing, but it is also honestly just a human being thing. It's a human relationship thing. Even if you're not currently a parent, this is for you, okay? Uh, But we are going to talk to parents today. Uh, When things are working the way God planned them, it's the parent's job to model right behavior. So parents, I'm talking directly to you today. Our topic uh, today, on the one hand, is embarrassing and shame-inducing, and on the other hand, is stress-relieving to know I'm not the only one, it's kind of all of us. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about controlling our anger. Now, uh, again, show of hands, where are my angry parents? Okay, this is a trick question. All parents are angry. Uh, And you might be thinking, no, I'm not, Pastor Phil, I'm not angry. Well, I got news for you. Repressed anger is still anger. Okay, and eventually uh, it comes out. And I'm not saying that all parents are angry all the time or anything like that. But even if you are the most patient person in this room, when you became a parent, you got just a little bit more angry. Like you were patient and then you had children. And, and, And children are a way of testing us in all new ways. So let me say that a little bit more eloquently. God has uniquely positioned children to reveal the true state of our hearts. More often than we care to admit, it ain't pretty. And in most of our lives, we are rational human beings, but at home with our kids, we can become slightly unhinged. And we use words at home with an intensity that sometimes is surprising, maybe even frightening. And I remember the first time I read Ephesians after having kids. We had two kids at first. Later on, we added a third, but we had two kids at first. They were 18 months apart. And I was so tired all the time. And I remember doing my devotions one morning and getting defensive after reading Ephesians chapter six. At first, it started really great. It was, it was really great. I started reading Ephesians six with verse one. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord for this is the right thing to do. I was like, amen, amen. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a, with a promise. Glory be to Jesus. Go. If you honor your father and your mother, things will go well for you and you'll have a long life on this earth. Amen, praise the... 
glory, you know, blessed be the, the words of the Lord, and, and it sounds perfect. And then I got to verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. That's where I started feeling defensive. A lot of translations say, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Now listen, I'm, I was a father of, of two kids under the age of three, and I remember thinking, hold up just a minute here. Me exasperate them? And now I'm a father, I, as someone who's been a father of, of littles, and then of teenagers, and then added a third kid, a baby, 10 years later, and we have all this whole thing, so I'm balancing two adult children and a third grader. There are times in parenting where I think about that passage, and I feel just a little bit indignant, righteously angry, if you will. And I think, shouldn't it be the other way around, God? Children, don't exasperate your parents. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my kids. They're so amazing, but parenting is hard. It's sacrificial. It's costly. It's bending over backwards every day for your littles and them constantly reminding you of them of things and, and of often being ignored. And certainly, yeah, I love it. I love it so much, but it's a lot. And certainly there are moments where I lose it a bit and I start feeling exasperated. And I think to myself, what in the world, God, am I doing to exasperate them so often that you feel it necessary to put it in the pages of Scripture? And yet there it is in black and white. There's no denying it. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. So the goal of parenting is to raise kids to know the Lord, to raise them to be these wonderful God-living adult humans. And apparently it's possible to go about that the wrong way in a way that provokes them to anger based on how I treat them. So here's a lesson we could afford to learn about people in general, okay? It matters how you treat people. It matters how you treat people. So with that, turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're going to be on page 735. Uh, I love, if you want a Bible, by the way, the ushers will come around. They'd love to bring you one. You can follow along. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, please keep this one. It's our gift to you. Uh, James chapter 1, I love the book of James because it's so practical it's like this how-to guide on Christian living. I've said it before. It's like Christianity 101 or Christian boot camp. And it's not a book arguing for works instead of grace. It's actually a book educating us on how we should live now that God's grace has actually forever changed our lives. Did you know James chapter 1 was written to parents? Let me prove it. Verse 12, just real quick. We'll look at it. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love them. And now that doesn't scream parenting. I don't know what does. Actually, no, that, that, that scripture is not about parenting. It's for all of us. But without question, it is relevant to parenting. And I think all the frustration of parenting comes from a good place. Now, certainly there are bad parents out there. There are some parents who just, they, they, they abdicate their role. They don't do their job. There are some bad parents out there. And certainly some of you had those parents. And if that was your experience, I'm truly sorry. But for the most part, parents experience frustration because we just want the best for our kids. And for Christian parents, that includes following Jesus. Like we want them to know God, to learn to do the right things, and we want them to, to follow Jesus. Uh, the, and these are good goals. And yet the number one reason 
when asked about their faith, the number one reason that young people are walking away from their faith is because of what they see as the hypocrisy in their parents who say one thing and do another. They find themselves exasperated by their parents and in some cases by the faith of their parents and and the hypocrisy they feel they saw in their parents' faith. And one of the most exasperating things we do in our faith as parents, one of the things that provokes our kids to anger so much is to talk about God, talk about his word, and then not control our own anger. Now, I want to be a parent that sets an example for my kids, and yet I can't tell you how many times I've been unrighteously angry, and that did damage to the example I was trying to set. Okay? Now, time out, that doesn't mean there's no place for anger. Okay? Uh, being a godly parent doesn't mean you live with blinders on. Like As a dad, watching my kids talk back to their mother causes a righteous anger to rise up in me and and I have this reaction and to, to not have a reaction to just be okay with it would actually be incredibly detrimental both to my parenting and to my marriage as it turns out but what I do with that anger how I respond, where I allow it to take me. That's what we're going to talk about today. That's what we're going to be diving deeper into because controlling your anger is all about perspective. And unless we change our perspective on anger and learn how to deal with it and and, and how to, to live with it, we won't control it well. And so let's jump into our text and see what we can learn about anger. James chapter one, verse 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And I'm already convicted. Anyone else convicted with me? Anyone like over three on this list of doing this perfectly? Often I'm slow to listen, quick to speak, and even quicker to feel angry. And I don't like that that's true about me, but I know it's true sometimes. And maybe you know that about yourself. Okay, the whole first section of James is about trials and temptations and the first 18 verses talk about all these trials and temptations we face and then in light of those trials and temptations in verse 19 James is telling us how we should react so this isn't just nice words or a nice idea there's nothing more practical than this verse it's as practical as it gets the the importance of controlling your speech is actually a theme throughout all of wisdom literature. There's a correlation between what wisdom literature calls loose speech and not just anger, but what they refer to as unrestrained anger. So here's the deal. Anger never justifies injustice. And if we are quick to listen and slow to speak, we don't leave as much room to justify our anger. One scholar put it this way. God has given us two ears both open, and one tongue hedged in with teeth and lips. So we should be twice as quick to listen and much slower to speak. In Proverbs 17.27, uh, we read, A truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. Or as, uh, one of my uh, favorite historical figures, Abraham Lincoln, said, better to re- Uh, better to remain silent, be thought a fool, than to speak and to remove all doubt. All too often, it's the uncontrolled anger in my heart that leads me to speak quickly and to say too much, which is what every parent does when we yell at our kids. 
Matthew 12 says, out of the overflow of my heart, that's where my mouth speaks. And often what overflows onto my kids is my unhealthy frustration. And so again, James is not forbidding getting or feeling angry. That's ridiculous. He's actually warning against thoughtless and unrestrained anger that leads to rash, harmful, and irretrievable words. Or as my dad used to refer to this all the time when I was little, constipation of the brain and diarrhea of the mouth, right? And as the social media has now allowed for unrestrained posts, which is why most of social media is literally a toilet. And this leads to the first shift in perspective, the first way we need to see things differently. Perspective shift number one, become aware of what your anger is producing, Become aware of what your anger is producing. Christians are experts at justifying our anger. We fly off the handle and then we try to label it as righteous anger. I, so I've read James 1.19 hundreds of times in my life, probably, okay? Somehow I never recognized the perhaps bigger truth in verse 20. So let's read them together. Understand this, my dear brothers. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Now watch this. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. When I was studying and I saw this for the first time, it's like my brain almost exploded as I began to wrestle with the implications of that statement. The warning against unrestrained anger is based on the fact that human anger cannot, is not possible, cannot produce godly results because human anger is rooted in self. It is planted in the soil of my own selfish needs and desires. And so it cannot and will not ever produce godly results, no matter how much I seek to justify it in my life. So the question you have to ask yourself is, why do I get angry? Why do we get angry? You ever ask yourself why you get mad at your kids? I think the quick answer most parents would give is, well, because of their disobedience and their disrespect because they didn't listen to me. And that's true, but it's only partially true. Because listen, anger is a result of unmet needs and expectations. So when we carry certain expectations into a situation or a relationship, and when those expectations are not met to the degree we expect, the result is frustration and anger about those unmet expectations. Humans are wired to make sure their own needs are met. And parenting is bringing into your life this little creature, this baby, that will always, as a baby, win the battles of wills. It will always be 100% selfish all the time and put, put its needs before your own. When you have a baby, a baby doesn't care how tired you are, doesn't care what you want to do. The baby wants food, wants love, wants attention, and wants it right now. And guess what? They will let you know. Now, has anybody gotten angry at your baby about that? Not usually right? We expect that of babies. We don't expect them to be mature. We don't expect them because at some point, you know, they're just a baby. But then the kids start getting older and it's easier to get more angry because at some point we expect them to grow out of this. And here's the deal. They don't. And I know that because we didn't. And our anger proves it. But here's what led me to my parent, my boggling, mind-boggling parental re realization. What's the goal of parenting? Can we agree the goal of parenting is to raise your kids to know and love and serve Jesus, to be like godly adults you'd want to be around? Is that fair? Okay. God did not give you your children to meet your desires. 
So when we ask them to obey us as parents, we do that so that we can teach them how to live in obedience to God. It's not because we deserve to be obeyed by them. And when I get angry at my kids for disobeying, it's usually not because I'm heartbroken they're disobeying God. It's usually because I'm angry they didn't obey me. It's I'm angry because their disobedience is inconvenient to me. Okay, When our children sin, they're actually disobeying God, and that should break my heart as a parent because I want them to obey God and to follow him, and because I know they're hurting God and they're hurting themselves. They're breaking God's heart and they're hurting themselves. But I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to point the finger at me. I won't even point it at you. Most of the time when I lose my, kid, my temper with my kids, most of the time that I've lost my cool with them, I'm not thinking about how it reflects their relationship with God at all. I'm thinking about how annoyed I am they're disrespecting me. And when when we view our kids' sins and shortcomings as offenses against us as parents, guess what? It will always lead to anger. And we may completely leave the gospel out of our parenting at that point. See, if the goal is an obedient kid at any cost, the gospel is not necessary. But the gospel is essential if your goal is to uh, lead your child toward a relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay? And, and this challenged me so deeply because I realized so often in my parenting, I don't discipline out of love for my kids. I'm not driven by my desire to help them learn and grow. I'm driven by my irritation at their failure to do what I wanted them to do and by the inconvenience parenting feels like in that moment. But human anger can never produce godly results. So I can't discipline my kids with an unrighteous anger and unrighteous motives and expect a righteous life to be the result. I want to pause here and I want to thank every volunteer, every kids volunteer, every teens volunteer, because I know in my life it was people like youth volunteers and my youth pastor and my Sunday school teachers and things like that, that stood in the gap that helped my parents when they needed it. So thank you for serving in that way. But let me ask you a question. What is typically the fruit? What's the fruit of your anger with your kids? If by some chance the fruit of your anger is leading to a deeper love for Jesus in the hearts and lives of your children, it might be a righteous anger. But more likely, if your anger is leading to a breakdown of relationship and a rift between you and your kids, that's probably not righteous anger. And your human anger, while completely understandable, I get it, I'm a parent, it will never lead to the results you want in your kids' lives. It will never lead to the relationship you want with your kids on the other side of parenting. And that led to perspective shift number two for me. I need to, we need to learn to navigate anger appropriately. Learn to navigate your anger appropriately. When I was writing this message, uh, Pastor JT, I was talking with him about what I was writing, and, and uh, he told me a story about this time that he was filling out a survey on his computer, okay? And as he was filling out the survey, he was answering this question, and at the end of this thing, he typed a comma. And on the screen, there wasn't a comma, there was a semicolon. And he thought, oh, maybe I hit the wrong button. He felt confused, he deleted it, tried again. Same thing happened. He typed a comma, he looked down, hit the comma, semicolon appeared on the screen. No matter how many times he hit the comma, a semicolon appeared on the screen, and he was getting so frustrated and so angry. Finally, he just said, forget it. And he scrolled down to the next question. And when he scrolled down to the next question, the semicolon turned into a comma. But now the sentence he was looking at had two periods. And it took him for a minute to realize what was happening. 
there was a speck on his computer screen that lined up perfectly with the comma that was turning the comma into a silicone. That speck was causing him to lose his mind. He was losing his temper. He was angry about something that wasn't even real. It was just a speck on the screen. Here's the moral of the story. How often are we quick to be angry about something that turns out to be nothing more than a speck? Anger's not evil. God made us with the ability to become angry. It's a God-given emotion, which means it has a God-given purpose. He gave us angry. If he hadn't given us anger, we couldn't be angry about sin. If he hadn't given us the ability to be angry, our hearts couldn't break when we see injustice. But too often, this is not where we see anger rise up in us because we're too busy being angry about the specs on our screen. And this is true in my life, and boy, is it true in my parenting and in the way I interact even with my wife sometimes. And what it's never been on my part, ever, is righteous. So what do I do about it? Well, James gives some incredibly practical advice if we keep reading. He says, control the content of your life. Control the content of your life. Verse 20, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. Listen, God doesn't want to rid you of anger. He wants to rid you of sin. That's what he wants to change in you. Pretending you're not angry, that's not the answer. Repressing anger, pushing it down, does more damage than good. God's not asking you to become some emotionless robot or monk. In fact, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, be angry, just don't sin. Be angry, but don't sin. So there are things that are worth being angry about. We should be angry about the injustice we see in our world. We should be righteously angry about corruption and greed. He wants our heart to break at the state of politics in America. He wants our hearts to, to, to break. And he wants us to hate sexual abuse and drug and alcohol addiction and pornography addiction. He wants to be, us to be angry about broken homes and broken families. And there are some things in your parenting that should make your, you angry, Okay. Your daughter probably should obey you, and it probably makes you feel angry. Your son probably should respect you, and it, and it probably makes you angry. As, as a parent, you should train and discipline them. If we don't, we're, neglect, we're neglecting our duty as parents, and quite often parenting can be really, really hard. So this isn't assuming that you shouldn't feel any emotions in the parenting process. God doesn't want to remove all emotions from your life. He wants to purify the, your heart so you can feel the emotions the right way. God was angry with us when we rebelled against him, but it was righteous anger, and that righteous anger fueled in him an unending love for us that led to the sending of his son Jesus to take our place. That's righteous anger. Psalm 145 verse 8 says, the Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. Now, who doesn't want to be more like that as a parent, and just as a person. And what we often fail to realize is that we actually have a choice. We, we can't actually choose what we feel necessarily, but we can absolutely choose what we do with those feelings. When James talks about being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry, let me ask you this question. Don't you expect that behavior of your children? Like these are basic expectations I have for my kids, but often I don't even require them of myself. 
And yet all of wisdom literature not only warns about our tongues, it seems to imply that we actually can't control it. Proverbs 13, verse 3, or excuse me, that we actually can control it. Proverbs 13, verse 3, those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 9, control your temper for anger labels you a fool. Proverbs 15, 1, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. This is a consistent theme between the Old and the New Testament. You have the power to control the content of your life. The way that we communicate God's love should reflect God's love, period, okay? My life should be a reflection of my faith. My words and actions should be a reflection of my heart. The things I post on social media should be a reflection of my patience and my grace and my parenting should reflect all of these things. James is writing here not to the world but to the church, to the church who needed a reminder to listen to one another and to speak to one another in a way that actually reflects Christ. Now again, this passage is in no way directly about parenting, but as we parent, these truths could not be more important. So here's a point I made in previous messages that I want to reiterate today. The best place to start the work of being a better parent is by working on yourself. James 1.22, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Now, I want you to not miss what he just said. If you go through all the motions of faith, but that faith doesn't lead to an actual obedience in your life, then you are quite literally fooling yourself. You're wasting your time. Your faith has to actually change your life. And as it turns out, the best way to be a godly parent is to choose to be a more godly person. And this is where the ball's in your court as a person and as a parent. Because living a faithful life doesn't guarantee faithful kids, but it is a guarantee to make you a better parent. Human anger does not produce God's righteousness, not in you and certainly not in your children. And human anger that poses as godly righteousness is one of the greatest things, exasperating a generation that isn't seeing in us what we are requiring of them. If your goal is for your family to follow Jesus and for that to endure for the long haul, this series is about getting there. And the best place to start any family road trip is with you. If you want to achieve anything in the next few weeks, it starts with a commitment right now from you with a choice to reframe the purpose of your parenting as not for you, but for him. So let me pray for you. Father, Father, we so often make our parenting about us and not about you. So at the beginning of this series, getting there, this family journey, change my perspective. Help me navigate my emotions. And in parenting and in life, would you make me more like you? Pray this in your name.